Pepe Lopez is a vibrant, prolific person and angler. After Castro stole Cuba, many Cuban families immigrated to freedom 90 miles away, including the Lopez's. Pepe's father loved the blue water, as did his son, until he saw the shallow water and what swam there. Biscayne Bay was his backyard and all the big bonefish became his prey. In his story, Pepe talks about how he ended up in the Lower Keys fishing with icon Harry Snow and how Lopez became one of the best bone fishermen in the world. This is what he saw and how he did it. We broke everything. We broke lines. We broke hooks. We broke rods. We broke our minds. We broke marriages. We broke the whole thing. We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. I knocked another arrow and he turned around the other way and I shot him going through the other way. So I double lunged him both ways. But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson. I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet. And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out, thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride. <laughs> There's something fishy going on here. Anyway, Pepe, um, guy, we've known each other a long time. Yes, Welcome, we have. you know, to the podcast with Nikki and I. Um, Thanks for having your, me. Your stories and seeing you at the Sugarloaf bench all those years, mm -hmm. and knowing what you did um, more prominently as uh, an all tackle guy offshore, but winning five all tackles with Billy Knowles, mm -hmm. uh, the World Championships, the Rolex twice. Mm -hmm. um, your father was an offshore guy. You've got a really big spectrum behind you. Yep. Uh, let's start at the beginning. Your family um, moved here, I think it was in 59, if I'm not mistaken. That was right after Castro started taking over. Yeah, that's right? correct. They had to leave. They came with their suitcases and the clothes on their back, and that was it. That's what you know. most Cubans, when they came over back then, Right. That's Chico, except yep. for he got his car over here. What did your parents do in, in Cuba? My dad was in the electrical business. As are you. Correct. And he would work with a New York company from Cuba, and he was doing business throughout the Caribbean, Central America, and South America. Were they fishermen in Cuba? No. My dad really wasn't a fisherman until he got to Miami. And, and then what was that inspiration? I mean, did he have friends? Or, I mean, how did he, he get He just bought a boat, and we went to Fowey Light and basically just snapper-fished. And uh, basically, that's basically all his fishing until later in life. He got a big uh, boat and got a captain. And basically, he didn't really enjoy the big boat except for bottom fishing. But right. we got into sail fishing. And you won the Miami Billfish. We, yeah, we won the Miami Billfish tournament. Uh, we came in second into Bob Lewis a couple times. But that was the sail fishing circuit. That is tough. That's yeah. that's worse than work. And yeah. were, you, were you guys flying kites back then? Yeah, flying kites, yep. And it was all sailfish. All sailfish. And we would catch bug light. 
or we'd go out and, and fish for the goggle eyes off the tankers, throw in the, you know, the sinker off the tanker. So you guys were catching your own bait as well. Oh, yeah. At midnight, that's what you're saying. Wow. Yeah, it was a long day, and I was working too. So basically, you know, we'd have the tournaments would be Friday, Saturday, or Saturday and Sunday, the two-day tournaments. And, and what, you know, how many sailfish won that tournament? Oh, I don't remember. But was it the numbers oh, they're no, putting they're out today? Digit. No, not like they are. I mean, today's... Refined. Yeah, no, they've got teams, and, and the people fishing... And the cockpit are all captains. Right. I mean, John Dudas, uh, he's got Brett in the cockpit as an angler, and three other guys are just as good as him. Those guys are just all professionals. I mean, yeah, they're professionals. You can't compete with those guys. Right. We were weekenders, and you know, we got lucky and we won. That's basically that's the truth, so cool. You know, and you know, we would hear you know all the ah. God, how can you let these guys get you <laughs> beat you but you know one of the fascinating things that, that i've always been amazed by is when your family left cuba they left everything there oh yeah they how did your dad get you know reconnected back here in the states he had a new york business right. guy he was working with, right so. but basically when the cubans came over in 59 58 there was a section in little uh, uh i guess you know and what do they call the little little Havana? Little, little Havana, Havana yeah. right. called Pasterito. And that's where all the Cubans, there were apartments, that's where they put them all until they got on their feet. And then from there, you know, he bought a house on the edge of the Everglades, which was back then Southwest 92nd Avenue, okay, which is basically, you know, now it's down to Chrome. So it right. gives you an idea. I remember growing up, there was nothing from 92nd back toward the West. It was all Everglades. And now you got to go to Chrome, which is probably around 15, 20 miles. So, but that's how all the Cubans got moved. And then, you know, the Cubans were hard workers and they established themselves, as you can see in South Florida. What were the early years like in Miami? Do you remember? Uh, I mean, it baseball? was- Baseball? Uh, no, I was a, I was a tr bad kid. You were a fighter. Yeah, you're a street uh, fighter. You're a bad is, kid. What does a bad kid mean? Yeah. Bad kid? Uh, let me see. <laughs> I got mixed up with the wrong people. That's all I'll say. But I did some bad stuff. And that moved me to a boarding school in Tampa for five years. I knew that's what we should have done with <laughs> two of our kids other than you. <laughs> I went to a boarding school, which was called Mary Help a Christian in Tampa. And those, I was fifth grade, and you went home twice a year, and those priests put you in, they, they, they fixed you. If you it worked. Get, if you didn't behave, you got. Where do you, where do you think you would be today if you didn't go to Christian school and the boarding school? I'd probably be dead. Really? You were that bad? Yep. I just hung around with a lot of the wrong people. Some, most, what was it a lot of the guys that I hung around with, and I was only in fourth grade now. These were older kids, and I was hanging around with them. Most of them are either in jail or dead. Wow. Yep. Did uh... I, I flunked out of fourth grade, believe it or not. And I, hey. did, I did something that it got down to where they told my parents they're going to have to do something. And they did. They sent me to a boarding school. And then, you know, I cried. I came in ninth grade. I went to Columbus. 
Then I went to UM and I got my act academics straightened out. I graduated with honors UM. I be, I'm an electrical engineer. And then in 1980, I moved to Lyme, Ohio, and I worked for Westinghouse Aerospace Division for three years. Was your dad a disciplinarian, or did you really get your discipline from it was those? my mom. Gotcha. I was Is that more typical afraid? of a Cuban family? I think so. I was more afraid of my mom than my dad. Still, but, to this day? No, my mom passed away. But my mom, I remember when I got to a point where she tried to get me, and I grabbed her, and I said, nah, not anymore. She couldn't, and that's when I... <laughs> Went to the boarding school. <laughs> and, they, and you call yourself an introvert. I am an introvert. <laughs> I, I really am. I really am. I just I just got involved with the wrong people. Right. And I got lucky that I was able to get out. out of it. Yeah. Was um what did fit how did fishing fit in? I mean, did that would that part of straightening your your goals and your interests and your, no. your your fun? Did it realign you by chance? Yeah. It, it gave me something to do. I always have to be busy. So it gave me, directed me to do something that was a challenge. I was to have to have something that challenges me or I lose interest. You know, it's interesting because all these years you were an avid tournament fisherman, fishing mm -hmm. all the time. But now you like to come down to the, to the lower keys oh. and work in your yard. What is your... Oh, no, no, no. If the fishing was great, if the tournaments were up, I would be fishing them. Until right. I die, but I mean, after that cold, cold snap in 2010. Right, I mean, and prior to that summer <laughs> of 2010 and that freeze, that was the best bone fishing in the Lower Keys I've ever seen in my life. Even in the 70s when I fished, 80s and 90s, and that year, that summer, it was incredible. Well, you you started the Sugarloaf Arena Marina there when you were 11 years old. From what I'm not mistaken. Well, yeah. What do you mean started? Well, I mean that's when you were in Sugarloaf fishing in the Lower Keys when you were 11. Yeah, I was. I had a Mitchell skiff, but I wasn't really bone fishing. I didn't know what that was. I didn't even right. know what a tarpon was when I was 11. When did you first see all this? Stuff? Well, started with Timmy Carlisle. You know, we. I grew up. He just got out of Vietnam, and. He loved the fish, and we just went started fishing together because he liked the bone fish, and he was trying to figure it out just like I was. Right. He was tarpon fishing, but most of it was in the channels, and we wanted, you know, we didn't know what a laid-up tarpon was back then. What year is this? This is probably 71, 70, and there was only like five guides at Sugarloaf back then. There was Nat Raglan, Cal Cochran, uh, Harry Snow Jr. And I don't know if Steve, he started in 73. Probably about that time. Yeah. So I, I those were, and I think the Hewlett brothers. Right. Mike Hewlett. Mike and uh, his brother, uh, Glenn. Right. Right. And then there was Johnny Cass who had the houseboat. I don't know if you remember. I about don't that. know him. No. Okay. Johnny Cass had a houseboat right in, inside Sawyer for the AT&T people. Wow. Okay, and he would fish for a little, he, they'd bring the people in and they would live on the houseboat. Nice houseboat. And that was there for, from in the 70s. I don't know when they left, but I think they left late 70s. But your relationship between, it was between Timmy and Harry Snow, those were your two guys. Well, I didn't really start fishing with Harry until the 80s. 
Okay, I knew. So, you, so Timmy was your first guy for a long time. Yeah, me and Timmy hung around, and we go whenever he had a day off. We go and explore. What do you call Timmy? Bertie. Bertie. How'd yeah. you come up with that name? Uh he's always chirping. Yeah. He's always chirping, right? Yeah, you know, he's just Timmy's Timmy. There's no one like him. He's such right. a sweet guy, and he'll do anything for you. And he's always been a good friend for me for right. all these years. Um, so you guys fun fish together. You didn't pay him to take no, you out no, and no, we, we I used explore to, with him and that's he was, it he was basically. Your guy. Yeah, and so he you, would fish charters, but mainly ocean or tarpon in the channels. Right. He really didn't get into the flats fishing probably until middle middle seventies. He started doing the flats fishing. Right. What was it like back then? Oh, it was incredible. I'll tell you one story. <laughs> we're running out in this little skiff and we're going over something and we're going to go permit fishing over in content and we can't figure out what the permit eat. We've thrown everything at him. We can't get him to eat. So we're running by and we see an ice can. We stop by, lift it up and dump a bunch of lobsters in. All right. And he said, we're going to chum. I told him, let's chum with these lobster. We'll, we'll ring them and we'll, we'll throw it out there as chum. So we get out there, we stake out, permit everywhere. But the hell, all they're doing is eating the chum. They're not eating our bait. <laughs> so it took us a while to figure it out because none of the guides over there would tell us anything, you know? Then they eventually start telling Timmy, you know, Harry was a believer in shrimp for permit. That's, that's all he would use is shrimp. Really? Not yep, crabs? Not the crabs. Because most people think it's a blue crab. No, I think it is too. But when I started charting with him, I went and got the crabs. All right. Because I couldn't get him to eat a shrimp, but he showed me you had to work it. What? So what was the way to do it? Well, you just couldn't throw the shrimp there and leave it. It was just not a scent based bait. No. You no. had to move that. You had even to though move it was it. a live shrimp. That's correct. You had to bump it and let it go down to the bottom. Bump it, let it go down to the bottom. Did you have any split shot above the hook? And yeah, I, I would put a split shot so it would go down. Right. And so did Harry, but Harry would use wire leader. Really? Yeah, he he was the only one I knew that did that for bone fishing and for permit fishing because that way the bait would go straight to the bottom because most that's how the bone fish eats. Right. And it, and it was really a good good idea, and I started doing it, but then I got I didn't use it anymore when I started fishing bigger fish than that. Right. So H Harry Snow, for the average person that wants to go permit fishing with bait mm -hmm. mostly pe people think that throw the blue crab out there yeah i would but harry taught you about the, the old shrimp stuff he he liked to use shrimp now was that before you started throwing jigs or jigs came later because i no, remember the, you were telling me about you and your son seeing all these permit in right the lower keys. yeah the, the jigs came from harry he's the one who actually showed me how to catch bonefish and permit on jigs Millie, little Millie's bucktail and put a piece of rubber on it just so that like a little rubber tail of some rubber kind. tail something so when they picked it up they thought they had something in there right and they wouldn't spit it out and it worked like a charm would you just shake it i would throw it out and give it one bump and as soon as i saw the bonefish stop on it i set the hook would you I, throw it pretty close to the fish or would you try to lead them and I, intercept them on the bonefish i would throw it maybe a foot in front of them what about permit? Permit. Sometimes I'd hit bean them and they would eat it. Sometimes I'd throw it three feet and they wouldn't even look at it. So, I mean, I've caught some big permit with jigs 
up to 30 pounds because I'm bone fishing and a big permit throws, shows up and boom, I throw it out there, I hook them up. Right. Does your son, did he gravitate to the fishing as much as you did? Yeah, because basically, you know, when I got divorced in 1999, so every weekend I took him fishing with me. Right. And he became a great angler, but I mean, we had a, a trip, this would be in not, you know, 2000, 2001. He won the Pee Wee Championship, and then he won the, the, what is it, the Junior Master Angler, like mm. three or four years in Not a row. Out of Miami, that was a big no, deal. No, in Key West. In Key West. Oh, yeah. they had that also down yeah, there? Yeah, they had it in Key West. So he, he did that for almost five years. And we had one trip, one, one summer, we were down in Boca Grande, and we were on this ridge across from the sunken boat on the north side. And we're pulling, I like that ridge, and... Here comes a school permit, hooks up and catches one. And I staked out, and we were in permit for four hours. Wow. They were moving, and they were all going from the Gulf, going toward the ocean. And we sat there. He caught 12 fish, and I never picked up a rod. I picked up a rod twice with a jig, and I caught two on jig. But when I say it was school after school after, while he's fighting a fish, fish are going by schools. Wow. It was one of those days because basically I fished that flat a lot. And you might catch one every time you pull it, and you might have three or four shots. But this was just, we were at the right t- spot at the right time, and they were moving. Were, did you become as good of a guide as you were an angler? I mean, I know the water is probably just as good as any guide. Right. All right. And I mean, most of my friends down here, down here are guides, and we talk a lot and... They sure. ask my opinion of stuff, and I tell them, you know, what I would do and so forth. I mean, it's just... Did you ever think about becoming a guide later mm-hmm. in life? No. Why not? I'm an angler. I mean, I fish when the weather's good, except if I'm in a tournament. But I can't do what they do, have to, having to go out every day and the weather's terrible. Right. I, you know, I give them credit I for know. doing it. It's a but hard I, job. But I, it's, you know, it's tough. And now it's even worse yeah. because the fishing sucks. And, you know, there's a lot of issues why it sucks. Uh, I don't think it's fishing pressure. I just think there's so many damn people down here now. Right. You know, there's more. A guy has a house, one house, and he has three boats. And, I mean, I, I would want to be a, a young guy trying to make a living in this business because I do not think there's a future in it. I mean, it's pretty obvious. If you're fishing, you have to you have to realize that it's still great for the people who've never oh, been no. here before. I understand. And that. new anglers, you get to still to have a chance to catch these great fish. Um, but with our perspectives, I've been down here almost forty years. Yeah. I would say I'm always going to love it because, like you, if it's a good day, we're going to go. Right. But especially so, you know, sharing that with your right. son with, and my yeah, son. That's that's basically. Yeah. Tell me about Billy Knowles, a great friend of yours. You won five, you know. Um, all tackles with, and I won two spring with him. Two also. springs, yeah. No, Billy was a special guy. The day I first met him, I knew I was going to get along with him, and uh, I fished three years in the uh, all tackle with Harry, and I knew I wasn't going to win it with Harry. Why is that? He just had his ways, and got to remember, Harry pulled the boat from the bow. And 
you can get away with that in the lower keys, but you can't get away with that on big fish. Is that because there was not a pulling platform yet? <clears throat> well, Harry, even if there was a pulling platform, Harry wouldn't. He was old school. Yeah, he's old school. Really? He, that's just the way his dad did it. His dad came down with the Flagler Railroad. He was Harry Snow Sr. He was another captain. I mean, and, you know, I just knew that I wasn't. With the cutting edge. I wasn't going to win that tournament fishing with Harry. And it was my fault because I should have cut it off. We did two years, and I won most releases. I won spin division, but I wanted to win the tournament. And I should have in the third year, but I felt obligated to him, mm -hmm. you know? And I should have just opened my mouth and said... You don't want to hurt people. Yeah, I didn't want to hurt him. But at the end of the day, you know, the third day he was taking me to the same spots, and I wanted to go somewhere else because I was going down in my boat and fishing, and I was learning it. And I said, Harry, if we're going to fish this, just take me back to the dock. I'm going back to work. I'd rather work. And I did. I paid him for the full week. And and I regret that. I should have just, but I didn't want to hurt his feelings. And at right. the end of the day. You hurt his feelings. I hurt anyway. his feelings. Yeah. You know? So he was a little bit of creature of habit. Yes, he was. But. The times are changing quickly. Yes. And, and there's a difference between doing well and winning. Right. And I wanted to win. And I wasn't going to win with him. And I didn't, mm. I just did it the wrong way i should have just i just couldn't do another two days of it yeah so yeah, then I, you I you linked up with billy and would you have you know would you talk to billy about where you wanted to go was yeah, it an open communication we had and, an open communication so so that ended and, and i called billy up that afternoon and told him next year said no no problem son okay and he, he would ask me and then I would ask him, and I say, "No, you go with your spot." But toward the end, we would both be equal in that because he taught me a lot. I learned real quick. Was there a learning curve to catch the fish in Island Marauder versus catching the fish down here, the big fish up there that were more notorious? No. Or did you have big fish down here as we well? We had big fish. I mean, the biggest fish I know that was caught down here, the day Timmy caught that record with me. Uh, I forgot the guy's name, but he caught almost a 13-pounder in Content Passage that same Saturday. <clears throat> the big fish down here are difficult just like they are up there. The only problem is that there's just more big fish. Up there. In Isla Mirada, yeah. Yeah, because I know, uh, I think uh, Gordy Hill had caught in a couple 15-pound fish down here back in the Contents also. Right. Um, so they, they were here. But let me ask you, over all those years during these tournaments, we used to have to bring our bonefish back to the Waymaster right. from wherever you caught them, whether right. you're in the Laura Keys. I remember Timmy Hoover and I were in the spring fly one year. We caught a 12-pound fish on mm -hmm. down in Marathon. But we brought that fish all the way up in the live well right. to Isla Mirada. Do you think that they had a larger population of big fish because all the big fish were bringing brought back to the Waymaster during these tournaments, the all tackles, the flight tournaments, et cetera? No, I think the big fish were there because of the bottom, you know, the good grass, the bait, and these fish didn't have to go everywhere to get food. Right. You know, that's why you had certain populations, Shell Key, you had Pollock Point, the Swash, you had uh, the Petersons, mm -hmm. you had Cotton Key, Crab Key, Twin Key, but then you had big fish in the second point, you know. Right. You know, green tree, you know, there was big fish. Every, there was population of big fish everywhere. 
but I think it was the bottom. The bottom up or down here is hard. You know, it doesn't hold the, the the food as well, or right. the, the population of. That's what I think, you know, and I mean the resource. And if and if you wade, in Halimarati, you sink. You sink. It's <laughs> muddy. Yeah. You know, and here you you know you can walk. It's hard. Were you wading back then down here? We would wade when I was a young kid with a uh, Timmy, me, and a couple guys from the arena. We would go to Marvin Key, uh, that little flat where the beach is. Yep. And you go to the west a little and there's this flat we would anchor up in there on the incoming tide and we would wade for big fish schools everywhere really yeah it was i did that for three summers all right when i was in high school and it was a ball i mean it was incredible and now it's inundated with 20 30 party boats but you can still catch a lot of bonefish but they're little but i mean yeah what i remember <clears throat> I'd only done this a couple of times. I fished the slam with Harry Spear. Right. And uh and Bokar. Mm-hmm. And you fished a lot against Bokar. Right. Um and I But I I never seen a fish light up like it did when it's it caught some scent of a of a cracked crab above it on a fallen tide. Yeah. Um all of a sudden their body I mean they get stiff and they go like this and they all of a sudden swim up up current. I mean, I thought that was just amazing. Well, I mean it doesn't happen like that all the time. Right. I mean, I've had beautiful laid up shots, up tide, fishes swimming into the current, coming at us. I th- lay a crab out five feet from him, go to the bottom, he swim right over it, wouldn't eat it. Did you not smell it? No, he smelled did, it. Did he you ever did. crack at the corner? Yeah. We used to bite the corners yeah. off, right? I, I'm the one who started it. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't crack it until I saw one, and i bite it off and that, bite it off. That's, and, yeah. Okay, but no. I mean, we used to talk about this in the afternoon in the Lorelei, you know, throwing crabs, and they just swim right over it. They were eating something else. Hmm. That's not true. I've heard, I heard that with, uh, I guess, Garen said that right. on your podcast. Yes. And, and no, I had a lot, a lot of shots where they just swim right over the crab. And then I throw a shrimp, big old live shrimp, bouncing. Same shit. Do you think uh, when they're like that, fly fishermen can be more effective than the bait guys? I think on a tailing fish, a fly fisherman has a big advantage. Because you can present the fly without disturbing the You can put it right on fish. his nose. Yeah. You can put it right on his nose, and he'll get excited, and he'll eat it right. Boom. What's your favorite fish? Bonefish. Big bonefish. Tell me about a big bonefish. Well, I'll tell you about two of them. The one I caught in the fall. Fall fall fly? No, in the fall, all tackle. Okay. We got out that morning and we started on key. It was the first day of the tournament. And lines in, I think that tournament, it was 7 or 7.30. But we started... As soon as we got there, there's a school of 11, 12-pound fish. Throw out, and I hook one. We catch it, and the old man's telling him, son, it's first fish, first day of the tournament. It's around 11 and a half pounds. And I say, yeah, but we've had tournaments when we didn't catch all our weight fish, too. I mean, have five weight fish in a tournament? Yeah. yeah. And I said, tournaments where we haven't caught maybe three or four weight fish. And the old man, yeah. And the old man's playing wood. Oh, he got away. He, he 
So we go. So he had it in his hands, right? And yeah. he was controlling whether yeah, you're going to take that fish and, for a weight and, fish. And he made he the knew. call. He made the call. Okay. And I say, what are you doing, old man? And we head over to inside. Now, well, if you know that, you got the main bank, you got the middle bank, and then you got the far east bank. Right. Okay. We stop on the west side of the middle bank. We pull and we get on the edge between the third and the second bank and we start pulling and all of a sudden on the edge of a bank we got this fish tailing so it's one fish we know it's big and you're in three feet of water and he's tailing and he's tailing and and i tell the old man go a little closer and just stake out old man let's not make any noise so he stakes out i got my crab i crack it i throw it like five feet because the current's it's going to go right into him goes back into him and i said I feel him, and I go, bam. I said, oh, man, get on the motor. He's going to spool me. That fast. That fast, okay? He goes with the current right down toward the bridge, all right? He gets on the motor, and I can see my spool, okay? I mean, those big bonefish, they'll run 100 yards like that. I mean, quick. Yeah. So he gets on the motor, and I said, get right on top of him because, I mean, they, there's all kinds of structure there. So as long as we're on top of them, I can see the fish in the line and I can move it. And we just play like that for almost 25 minutes. Wow. Okay. And I said, I think he's ready, old man. And then the old man goes up in the front, gets the <laughs> net out. I mean, it's always, and I'm always getting. You're you know, hyper get, as hell. <laughs> I'm getting freaked out. All right. He gets the net. I said, come on, old man. I got him right there. And then he goes, he doesn't fit. Put it in the head. And he lifts it up. And I said, holy shit. Like that. And I, I, I get the pump going and everything. I said, hold on there, old man. Let me get the tank filled. Because I had a right. tank in there. So he lifts it up and I slide him in there. We're running to the Lorelei. To weigh him. To weigh him. And I go, how big is he, old man? I'm not going to say, Pep, but he's a big one. I said, well, what? Is he... I mean, he looks to me like he's over 14. And he said, he never, ever. Would call out a number. He would never call out a number. Because he didn't want to be wrong? No, I just think he didn't want to get me all freaked out. Because <laughs> I was Which already. easy to do. I mean, I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting harp <laughs> right talking now. about that right now. Okay, so we get to the Lorelei. And he brings me the canoe. And I handle the fish. And I pick him up and I slide him in there. And I go up with the canoe and I put my hand so he doesn't bounce out. Charlotte puts it on there, and I saw 15, shit. And then it starts settling down, and it was 14.10 or 14.8. And then we rush back in, and we let him go right there, and he swims away. Extra points for healthy release. Right. So wait a sec. I finished the story. So now we go back out, and we go now, and we start at the second bank again, but on the west side of it. So you go right back. Yeah. Right back to it. We go right back, and here's three big slobs tailing. All right? And I got the... T everything's in our favor. I stake it out, old man. How exciting is that? Okay. Throw it out. Bam. Caught a 12, 8, 12, 10. Okay? We're going back into the weight to weigh him, and Ricky and Mark Cockerham... Ricky Moeller. Ricky Moeller and Mark Cockerham, which are... I mean, I, I fish with Ricky. I never fished with Mark, but I fished with Ricky when he lived in Miami. Great angler. 
and Mark Hockerham. I mean, they grew up in Island Rock. They're good. I mean, that tournament had the best of the best. Right. I mean, really. Top of the line. Top of the line anglers. I mean, these were guys who grew up in Isla Mirada. I mean, it was a tough tournament to win. And we all got along. So Ricky and Mark, are we're going back. Oh, they're coming in the way of fish, and we're going out after we wait. I said, yeah. I go to Ricky. Yeah, he was 12-10, but tell him to tell you about the first one we caught. I didn't tell him to wait. I didn't tell him to wait. And then from that, we went, and I caught... 10 release fish between and what is that? Uh, not, what is that? Oh, God, I'm trying to think. What's that key past Bud and Mary's, that last key on the ocean side? Indian key? Indian key. Between and I caught 10 fish and the smallest was nine and the biggest was 11. Those were release fish. Oh my God. Unbelievable. Okay, and I that was a... I think I had 4,000 and some points on that day. And the next day, I caught two more wayfish. Then on Wednesday, we were weighted out, and I ended up catching something like 15 releases. Including on Thursday the- and Friday. No, on Thursday and Friday, I caught 15 releases, and none of them were under nine pounds. That's okay? Oh I mean, there's, I caught 11 and 12 pounders Thursday and Friday that were releases. And that was my record, I think, record high. I had 70. Two or seventy-three hundred points, and you won that five times. I won that one five. Yeah, in the spring twice. Yeah, and the spring, my second big fish was in the spring, and then when I caught that one, I didn't even win the tournament. Ricky beat me out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's how bad I caught a fifteen-eight, a twelve-something, two other way fish, and I lost the tournament. Okay, but that was that fish was a classic too. We were going to Billy's Lake, which was one of my favorite spots to fish big fish. Especially with Billy. And was that named after Billy Knowles? I don't know. I don't think so, but I, I really... We'll, we'll, we'll go with it, though. Yeah, we can go with it because he caught a hell of a lot of big fish there. Right. But Ricky liked that spot. Everyone liked it. And I liked the bank on the south side because when the tide was coming in, those fish would come out of the lake onto that bank. And it was so easy. I mean, I caught three 13-pounders one day there, fun fishing with my son, Alex. Okay? I mean, it was incredible. It's just hard to describe unless you lived it because you don't believe when someone tells you these stories. Right. Okay? But, I mean, we used to have 9B, 9A, which was Shell Key, and then the next bank and the next bank. And those things were phenomenal. You go on that bank in the evening, and you have schools of big fish wherever you looked, all right? I mean, it was incredible. But in that spring tournament, it was the last spring tournament I fished, I think, and we had two wayfish, and we broke one off, and I think that, no. The year prior to that, I had a release fish that weighed 1410. A release. A release fish, because we waited out, and I told Billy, let's just go in to see where we're gonna go fish tomorrow. See if they're in there. And we went down the main bank, you know, where the, the sign is right. off the highway. But we went to the north and started. There was a mud in there. I threw out. And, that, and the old man said, you're going you're gonna to be mad. Okay? And that jinxed us. Because after I caught that release fish, we didn't catch shit after that. I couldn't make a good cast if I had to for the next two days. I mean, I couldn't do anything right. And he was right. Because we shouldn't have, I should 
You shouldn't have gone there to catch a And I fish. told him, let's go. I, you know, I'm not going to catch a big one. I promise. You caught a 14. Yeah, I didn't know how big he was. But going back to that tournament, the spring, we went to the head pin in front of Ligman Vitae on the north side of Billy's Lake. You know, you know where that is, right? Yep. Okay. And we stopped the head pin, and he gets up on the platform. And I got, I'm all right, and I get on my platform. And I look down. And I said, oh, man, you see those three fish swimming right by underneath the boat? Says, no. So I'm going to let them go. I'm going to throw it way out there and see if they eat it. I mean, there were three huge fish. So as soon as they got around 30 yards, not 30, 30 feet, I heaved it way in front of them. And believe it or not, one of those suckers ate it. Hmm. And it was 15-8. What's your biggest bonefish? I've caught three fish over 16. Not in a tournament. I caught one with Billy and Sue, uh, Sue, what was that? Cocking. Yeah, cocking. Yeah. Okay, and she did an article on it. I caught one showing Joey had a bonefish in Alamorada, which was 16. Is that Joe Rodriguez? Yeah, Joey, I call him. I've seen that Joey. photo. Yeah. He was, we weighed him on two scales. One had it at 16.3 and the other one had it at 16.10. Wow. Okay, and then another one I caught, uh, what was that other one I caught? <clears throat> I caught one on Pollock Point, which was over 16. What's the key to catching big fish? You want the truth? Yeah. A lot of luck and some skill. Ha putting the, fly, the bug in the right spot. Yeah, but that doesn't guarantee it to you. I mean, right. you got to put it in the right spot, but I mean, that's not true. See, in fly fishing... You've got to not only get it in the right spot, but you have to understand the dynamics of the movements, the fish, and moving right. the fly you, in the right way. Yeah, you got to see what and how he different, reacts. Different flies, you move different ways. Right. But with the shrimp or the crab, like for the common man thinking, I want to go bone fishing. You know, what do I do? You mm -hmm. know, and well, the, you got you got to you got to present the bait as quietly as you can, and it's it's a crap shot. Whether he's going to eat it, it he's going to eat it, or he won't eat it. Kind of like any other fish. Right. You know, so it's not 100% when you do everything right. I've had a hell of a lot of refusals, and I'm not the only one. I mean, I used to hear the stories at the bar in the afternoon how fish, schools of fish were going right over bait. Right. I mean, that was a common occurrence, and you would hear it every day. Did you ever have anybody... Well, it's an all tackle, so some of the guys were flying, were throwing flies. Yeah, and there were people tackle. throwing flies, and because you get more points or whatever that right. may be. That's correct. I mean, that's when... did you do that when you were winning the all tackles? Were no, you, I, you I caught... fly, you just stayed all bait. No, no, on the releases I stayed with a spin artificial. I caught all my releases on spin artificial. Every bonefish I caught was on artificial. But the big fish you wanted to have the on bait. the big fish. I didn't miss. I've caught some wayfish on artificial when I'm shoreline fishing. You know, because they'll eat shoreline, but the fish in the back, no, nah, they're not. I mean, they will eat a jig, and but not a often. lot of people have caught a lot of big fish, you know, throwing plugs and so forth. But, you know, in the tournament, I want to make sure I know what's going to work. And crab, to me, you know, it's not 100%, but... Pretty deadly. It's pretty deadly, you know, when they're eating. Do you think as time has gone on, do you think the skill level of these anglers have diminished? No. I mean, not during that time. No. What I'm saying now is do you think the you know, the anglers today are better than the anglers in your day? 
Yeah, I think. Do you really? I think the guides are better. I think the anglers are better. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's like anything. Basketball players are better today than they I always, were, you know. Because I always heard during that time frame of when you were fishing the all tackle and stuff, the the bait guys, the fly guys, especially the bait guys, were unbelievable. They wouldn't yeah, miss. They, they took it very seriously. They would fish 40, 50 days a year throwing bait at these permanent yeah. and, and bonefish. Mm-hmm. And you don't really see that today. Yeah, because you don't have the fish. You don't have the big fish. You term, don't have the the term has changed. Yeah, if you had the big fish, you would still see... I mean, that's a progression in human nature. Everything, Evolves. you're going to be better than your dad in fishing. If you're not, you might not catch the fish he's caught because there's not any fish to catch. Right. But you're going to be a better fly fisherman than him because he's teaching you. That's progression mm-hmm. in anything. In right. sports, but I think it goes back to what you said. They just There's not the number of shots. There's not the number no. of fish there once was. Because I remember when we were interviewing Dave Dankert, he said that the skill level back in the 90s and the early 2000s oh, no. was just... The, Phenomenal. That all tackle, the fall fly, those were the cream of anglers right. and guides. Right. Okay. Right. It was. I mean, if you are going to win that unless you were good. I, I, I've said this before, and I hate to be redundant because, you know, with 65, 70 podcasts now, you have a tendency to repeat certain stories. Mm-hmm. But um, in a spring fly tournament, um, we were leading going into the last day. We caught a fish. We had a good chance to win. And Kevin Guerin and Bert Sherb caught a nine-pound weight fish. And they said, like Billy, letting go your big fish, you know, because right. you wanted to win. And you realized that was a big fish tournament with the bait. But um, Kevin Guerin said, look, if we take this nine-pounder, we can only possibly get third. They released it and caught a 12-pound on yeah. fly. Those were the days yes, where were. you could really do some damage with some big fish. Yep. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I think a lot of these tournaments, like the spring fly, there are not many guys fishing it anymore because we've lost the fish. We've lost the numbers. No, I mean, it's, it's a it's shame. Hard. Yeah, it is a shame. It's sad because we all fished, you know, all, all five tournaments. We fished three tarpon tournaments and the two bonefish tournaments. And then people got into the I used the to love it. the keys. That's now. what I looked forward to every year, the fall and the spring. When both... Bo Carmi talked about it. I said, let's open, do a spring because we enjoyed the fall so much. Why not have one in the spring? That's when the big fish are anyway. Right. Okay. And he started his tournament. And it was So he great. started the spring. Oh, no. He started tackle. it. He started it. And I was, I mean, it was great because now I had two bowfish tournaments. Right. You know, because I wasn't really into the fly. In hindsight, I wish I would have gotten into the fly sooner. So how did you gravitate to the fly tournaments? Because I wanted to fish more bone fishing. Right. I had a feeling. Okay. And 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 I you did. I mean gave you I more. I could put I mean I caught a lot of bonefish on fly. Right. I'll tell you a joke, you'll laugh, okay? Both of you because you're fly <laughs> fishermen. My first year fishing the fall fly with Billy. We're in cotton, right? And I'm throwing I hook a big fish and he takes me out to the lake, right? And and all of a sudden the line breaks. And Billy says Son, I bet you had a wind nut. And I go, and I said, no, I don't, old man. I got two right here. (laughs) (laughs) I have three wind nuts. Okay? That's great. And that's a true story. (laughs) That's a true story. I never forget it because he said, no, son, because I, you know, 
I was throwing the fly. I mean, I was covered up with these big 12-pound fish. Yeah. Okay? And I hooked one on my first fall. And and I get it all cleared. And you, see, you see the pig's tail comes back in a curl. And, and I come back. It's a, oh, it's a wind knot. No, I got two here. It couldn't be the wind knot. I said, no, you had three. So that that's how green I was with the fly fishing. Right. You know, but I got better at it. I mean, I like fly fishing. I When I brought it down to the lower keys, I saw what a deadly weapon it would be here because I would throw the fly into a school of fish and I throw it right in it and I jumped because I thought I was going to spook him. And it's a spook him. I stripped. I got him well, again. Well, yeah, you loved it. Okay. You, and every time I was, aggressive. I'd throw it into him, I would twitch because I thought I spooked him and I didn't. They eat it. We did you are you surprised they never got a, a permit all tackle tournament going? You would think it would make sense, right? Yeah, but it'd have to be in the lower keys. Right. You know? Because now they have uh two permit fly, fly you, you, tournaments. You know, it's it's crazy because the permit fishing in the seventies and eighties and nineties, but in the seventies and eighties were ridiculous. Anyone could catch a permit if you knew how to get to the to the golf edge and fish any flat on the incoming, especially down here, it was sick. I caught 23 permit with Harry Snow in one day, all right? And that was in July on the full moon, all right? Because the permit would come in between, they would come in on the golf all along on the full moons in June and July and spawn on the coral heads inside. And they would do that until Sportsman season pushed them all out. And when I say I saw literally thousands of permit, it was that he wouldn't even pull the boat. He'd just crank up to a school, lift the motor, and we drift into it and I hook one. Uh, on jigs. Jigs and crabs. Yeah. But to tell you how bored I was after I caught, you know, I just want to see how many I could catch in a day. And I said, Harry, that's enough. What I would do is I just bring the crab and they would literally bounce off the stern of the boat. Okay, permits a jack. You just yeah. got to bring it, bring the jack out of them. And I mean, it got old, but I just wanted to say I caught twenty three permits sure. in one day. But well, Harry Snow, that name is one of the great pioneers. Well, his family, his dad, yeah. yeah, yeah. Tell me about that family and Harry Snow. Harry Snow was really a very intellectual guy, smart. I mean, he did a lot of things, innovative things. I mean, he was using wire leader for bonefish. No one ever thought of that. Why would he use wire leader? Because you fish in three or four feet of water on high water, it would take the shrimp right down. Oh, the weight. It would be the weight. But, but it not, would. But not it, split shot. No, because it would make a, a thump, a split shot. The wire line would just lay very smoothly mm. and you wouldn't get any splash. Okay, I mean, I think his dad did the, the push-pull. I uh, Harry Snow Sr., mm -hmm. he came down with the Flagler Railroad, and he started bone fishing. Harry would tell me those stories, but, I mean, to me, I did. he's the one that really showed me how to fish down here. And what would he say? He just showed me areas. Where to go. Yeah, areas. Talk about tide. Yes, and he would yeah. talk to me on, you know, I'm coming down on a weekend, I'm not fishing with him. He'd tell me, you know, I've been finding fish here and here. You know, and I remember one time on the white holes on content, I was fishing by myself because I usually fished by myself. Yeah. And I was trying to show off in front of him, right? He had a charter. 
all right? <laughs> and I was staked out, and he was further down. And I had four rods, so I hooked four bonefish at one time and fought them all. <laughs> and he, then he said, get out of here, okay? Quit showing off. <laughs> how old are you, 15 at this time? No, I was older. I was probably, well, how old was I? I was in my 20s, okay? But I just did it just... <laughs> <laughs> just because you could no i just want to see if i could do it yeah. you know and i had two rods in my i had one in my mouth you know because <laughs> i didn't have any rod holders in my boat oh that's, <laughs> that's amazing funny. but yeah. that's that's how good the fishing was right okay i mean you could go to the white holes on the fall you catch all the bonefish you wanted and as the tide got lower the permit would show up and you catch a couple permit it was every day you do that no matter where you went. Was that really a target for most guides back in the day, the contents, because it was so good back there? Contents was good, but, I mean, you got keys for the permit fishing. I'm going to write all these numbers down. Yeah. Oh, you know, I'm <laughs> no, fished them all, kidding. please. <laughs> We're going to bleep out some of these. You bleep whatever you want, but, I mean, it's not anything. I mean, everyone knows them, but. Did you did, um, talk about monofilament versus braid? Because I know some guys will throw braid with a with a string of mono at the end. Croca does not believe in braid whatsoever. What's your take on the difference of braid and mono? I love braid only because I could put eight pound test braid that's thirty pounds on my spinning rods and catch these damn tarpon that would take me on monofilament two or three hours. All right. No stretch. No stretch, but I broke a lot of rods, but they were Guaranteed, if they broke, I get a new one. So I take it in and I get a new one. But when braid came out, I started tarpon fishing again because I got tired. I hated tarpon because every time I'd hooked one on 10 or 12 mono, I mean, all you're doing is just falling around. Right. You know, after he jumped. So I was just start breaking them off. But then I got even with them with braid. All right. <laughs> Man, I would put the hurt to them. I mean, I'd break rods, but it was fun. Where, and I, how would you tarpon fish? When you're, when you're doing it, flipping crabs. I'm out flipping of, crabs, yeah. and I would flip worms. Worms. Yeah, Harry taught me. This is back in the when was this? The '80s. He would get a big orange worm, a bass worm. That's how. Oh, Harry, artificial. Yeah, plastic worm. Plastic worm. That's how Harry fished for his tarpon with a rubber worm in the '80s and '70s. In channels. No, sight fishing on the flats. Yeah, you see a fish, you throw it out. And big red worm? Yeah. No, they were orange. Orange. They were orange. Big ones. Like this. with a, And man, they'd eat the shit out of it. All and, right. And today, you know, it's probably similar to like a hoagie lure. Or I don't even know what that is. That's a... Yeah. 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 It's a big, fat, long worm. Yeah. 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 It was just a bass worm. Then I went and bought a lot of them, and that's what I started throwing. And they'd eat it. Right. And, you know, but if I could get a crab, I just like the bite with a crab. And so with the crab, you'd throw it past their line, reel it high. And the what I do in a laid up spot, look which way the tide is. I throw it five feet up tide and I leave it up on top. And as soon as he got over, you see the tarpon come up. It's the best bite in the world. And as soon as he, you nail them. And in that one spot, they're all big fish. They're all hundred pound fish. All of them. I've never seen anything small there. And it's just, spectacular the bite that's the best thing about and after they jump off i, I pop them off yeah I mean, there's no reason i think you know. i think um carlos um so lee 
can't remember his last name. He was saying Carlos Solis. So Solis, yeah. He was always saying, yeah, tarpon fishing is like digging a ditch. You know, you're always pulling up and cranking down yep. and digging a ditch. Oh no, I I shut the motor off as soon as I got close to him, and they just dragged he dragged me in the boat because I would not give. Right. Okay. I cupped the reel. Hold and, on. And either he was going to break my rod or he break the line because I was done with him and broke the rod a few times, and <laughs> and then the other thing is just pop it. So how'd you get out of the, the tournament scene? Because you won so many. I got out of it because after, when the freeze hit and I saw the devastation of the bonefish, it was over. There nope. wasn't any bonefish. I mean, Mooney gave me a call and told me that there were 13-pound bonefish in his dock in the basin. I mean, it was done. And, and that was after the 2010 freeze. Yep. Yeah. It was over after that. I mean... I remember last spring bonefish tournament I fished. We fished two practice days and three tournament days, and I had like five shots yeah, in five days. But you're looking for big fish. There was none. I mean, there's there's I mean, loads of bonefish now. Yeah. I mean, but they're all. But this too- was right after the freeze. Oh when, yeah. When I when I got out of the yeah. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was it. That's and that's when they shut down the tournaments. Right. Well, they kept the fall, but it's now a permit bonefish and it just, yeah, you know, but. It's not the Change same thing. Um, so what is your son doing now? Is he still fishing quite a bit? Does he ever have any aspirations to get into this game? My son is a lawyer, and he just had a baby. so He's he, toast. No, he's, he's, going, he's, got, <laughs> he's got two Tortuga tips lined up on a big boat and then on another boat. And he's a great fisherman. He's a better fisherman than me. Wow. Okay, I think he caught the last big bonefish in the bay. Probably around four or five years ago, he caught like 13, almost 14 pounder. Wow. So, but he, good fisherman. I mean, he's caught some nice permit with me down here. So I either go fishing. If he can't come down, I take Timmy fishing, but I don't pick up a rod anymore. Just, kind I like of. to yell at people. <laughs> <laughs> you like to watch? Yeah, I like to yell at people. You know, I love polling. I think I love it too. I love it. If the fishing slow, I'd rather pull than be on the plat- be on the casting platform. No, yeah, I can imagine. I yeah. mean, who's the best fisherman you ever fished with? As a, as a guide, either way. You were mentioning Croca a little bit earlier. I think the best fisherman would be Harry because he could throw a spinning rod. Harry Snow. I, yeah, you want want me to tell you a story about Harry and Isla Morata? Yeah, I I was beside myself. He was making me throw shrimp, okay, at these big bonefish on the inside corner. You know where the inside corner is? As you come out of Well Harbor, not Well Harbor, the Lorelei, you got the wheel ditch. Right. On the other side of the mangroves is the inside corner. Then you got the middle, and then you got the outside corner right across from the football field. Yep. Okay. We were in the inside corner. And I'm spooking these fish. They want to eat. I'm putting the shrimp there. And I said, Harry, you can't catch these fucking fish. All right? <laughs> and Harry said, okay, get over here in the pole, and I'm going to show you that I can catch these fish. And believe it or not, that motherfucker caught the fucking bone hook. <laughs> but I start pulling. Here comes a school of fish. He throws a shrimp, puts it right on his fucking nose, hooks it up, looks back at me, cups it, and breaks it off. All right. And I went back to the bow and I fucking couldn't catch a fish the rest of the fucking day. 
All right? Seriously. What was he doing differently? He could put that shrimp. Better caster. Better caster. At that time, better caster than me. Best caster I've ever seen. And the only one that comes close is Mark. Right. Okay? I mean, he did it not a lot. Right there. And they did that underhand flick. You do that too. That no, splashless no. cast but, thing. But, I mean, proof's in the pudding. He shut me up. I said, you can't catch these fish. What happened in that one? I heard a story. I don't know if this is true or not. My dad told me that story about that one tournament, that bonefish tournament where he got in an argument with a guy that was claiming cut world record, two 16 pound world record fish in the uh, fall fly. Yeah. He caught, he caught a 16 something and a. Well, tell us about that. You were at the, the fishing club or something after a day? Oh, yeah. I, we're having drinks. I was into my like <laughs> probably eighth vodka. And this was in the fall f- fly. fly. Yeah, I got kicked out of the fall fly for that. Yeah, believe it or that? not, can you believe that? I was, I was, in, I was in that thing. <laughs> yeah, and I, well, I don't even remember the guy's name, but I'm sitting there talking with someone, and I was pissed more because he replaced Timmy's world record that he caught with me, the fourteen ten, because he had the record. And then this guy catches a fifteen something in Key Biscayne. Cal Calman or I, I forgot the guy's Something name. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what his name was, but he came in, and I guess someone got someone gave me a nudge and got me going, <laughs> and basically, I regret it, but basically I said, you know what, you didn't catch those two fish. Why don't you come out and admit it? You weighed them on a marlin scale, okay? And I'm going to give you a, I'm going to do a favor. Go get a two by four. And I want you to hit me over the head with it, okay? Because I was just reaming into the guy, okay? Until I said, basically tell him, get the hell out. And he finally got up and left. But I got a, I, I guess someone gave me a little nudge or something, <laughs> you know? But they got me going, and I had a few vodkas in me. And vodkas will do that to you. So what? Ha- so well, he, you're you know, insinuating look, that he he's just a what, full-on liar. Well, not no, one, no, no, not no. one sixteen-pound fish. Look, two sixteen-pound fish. I want to fly and one on bait. Day, one day after the next. Right. And, and basically, you kind of called this bluff. No, I didn't call his bluff. I said it to his face. Right. Okay. And I said, and he weighed him on a marlin scale. Okay. Which and that was told to me by someone that worked in Crandon that those two fish were weighed on a marlin scale. How can you weigh? a friggin' 15-pound fish on a marlin scale and get an accurate weight. Especially if right. it's not digital. No, of course not. I mean, they're bogus. And we even talked to the IGF, and they still have it as an IGF record, which I don't understand, but it is. Well, isn't. it is if, if look, it's a, if it's a certified IGFA scale, it's measured, photographed, uh, with witnesses, how can they deny it? I don't think it was photographed. I never saw a picture of any of those fish. Because usually it's got to be all ver- verified through all the elements uh, that are required. You have to have like length and girth photographs, witnesses, weight on a, on dry ground. I think back then they didn't need that. Or if they did, I never even saw a photo of the fish. And I saw one photo, and to me, anything 12 or 13 pound, I never saw it. Someone showed me a photo of it which I don't know if it ra- actually was the photo. Right. But the photo I saw, it wasn't, wasn't even close. It yeah. wasn't even close, but. 
Um, what stands out if you take a look at the spectrum of your life with, in fishing? What stands out the most as far as, you know, what you enjoyed the most of it? I tell you, the camaraderie, the friendship. I love the tournaments because of that. I mean, Bokar was a good friend of mine. I took Bokar fishing down here quite a bit. And, you know, Ricky, they're all gone. And uh, Craig Brewer, I mean, last time I took him last year, it was terrible. You know, Mark, it's just the friendship. But I right. was I was different in the tournaments because, like I told you, I'm an introvert. You don't think I am, but I am. <laughs> I, I really am. I just mind my own business. And right. if I don't know you, I'm not going to go up and talk to you I just because I don't know you. So it's like to be alone. I like, no, not right. that I like to be alone. It's just that I'm hard to start a conversation. So I just mind my own business. And, you know, eventually I'll get to know someone in a tournament that I want to know, you know. But Mark, I never got to know in the tournaments because of his migraines. Right. And I thought he was, you know, just didn't want to talk to people. Okay. But after getting to know him, over the course of maybe the last 10 years. Mark is such a gentleman, hell of a fisherman, hell of a guide. And you were asking me a while back who I think is probably the best guide that I've ever fished with, okay? And Mark would be up there. I think Mark, in overall coverage of area from Key West up to Fort Lauderdale is number one. Yeah, he'd come down. So we're talking about Mark Croca now. If you ever right. want to hear a great podcast, look at Mark right. Croca with the Millhouse podcast. Right. It is outrageous with his right. what he sees in the middle of the you know right. the dark, you know the yeah. uh, spaceships right. and uh, UFOs and stuff. <laughs> um, but you know, and 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 down here for down here, I I still say that Harry Snow Jr. was the best guide. It's amazing here where you have a guide from Isla Mirada come down here and win the slams against the Key West guides without spending a whole lot of time down here. What's that all about? Was yeah. he doing a lot of practice days down here? Who? Croca uh, when he was winning oh, no. the slams Kroka down here. Oh, no, Croca was phenomenal. Yeah, Croca knows this area just as good as anyone. Trust me. Okay. He was sneaking down here doing his... No, he comes down here quite a bit. And, I mean, I've heard some of the days that he has down here and they're ridiculous so, I mean, he knows this area just as good as anyone. Right. Don't let him fool you, right. okay? He's good. I mean, <clears throat> there's a reason why he's won so many tournaments. Right. And to me, he's on the top when it comes to that tournament fishing. But, you know, he's had great anglers, too. I yeah. Cal Bloomberg. I mean, just think of the, the teams. Yeah, all just, the bonefish tournaments. Yeah. Think of all the teams. That, you can't win without a good guide or no, a good angler. No, it, it's, 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 it's a team effort. Mm -hmm. It always has been. And anyone who tells you that a guy's going to win a tournament for you, it, it's both of them. Right. You know, it's just, it has to be that way. What's the future for you in fishing? Are you sad that you don't fish much anymore? Or is it just uh, so you, you rely and, and enjoy your memories of the, great, the good old days? I mean, I get so disappointed when I go out. And I know what to expect now. You know, right. so when I go out, I mean, I know where I can find bonefish. And after you catch three or four dinks, I mean, then I look for permit. And the permit are far and few between, but you can still catch them. And I, right. you know, I catch one or two here or there. And, 
And then the tarpon fishing, when I start fishing, the tarpon season's basically over, so I I pound the little ones. <laughs> so you, you start fishing on your own around July, you were telling us. Yeah. And that's just because the pressure's kind of gone and you have more freedom to Listen, go wherever you want? It's just all the guides down here. Right. You know, you got the guys from up north, which, you know, I don't agree with. You have us. No, you, <laughs> you guys you guys are like me. You only come down here for, and you deserve to be down here. You, your dad's fished here for 40 years. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't bother me. What bothers me is these guys that come from up north that don't know the water. Your dad knows the etiquette on certain points, how to fish them. These guys come down here and don't have any idea of what the etiquette is on this bank or on that point. You know, so they screw everything up. And and business is bad for the locals. You know, you got captains here who are making a living out of it. You know, they're paying their mortgages or putting money into the community. And you got some of these guys that I've had out on the water with them a few times. You know, shit. <laughs> Tell you how small a community this is. The last time I had it out with one of these guys... I was going through airboat channel. I saw the boat. He was toward the east, two channels over, and he was heading to airboat, but he was two channels over. I run into airboat, shut down, and I'm gonna start, and I start pulling west, away from him. The next thing I hear, I hear this guy yell, you cut me off, waving his hands and all this. And I'm by myself and I just can't take it anymore. So I put my rod down, put the push pull in, get it on the plane, and I run right at him and shut down like five feet from him. And I said, what the fuck is your problem? How can I have cut you off? There's two channels between us. So you're trying to tell me that I got to go all the way to fucking Key West to fish because I'm cutting you off because you're behind me? And I tell his angle, get a good guy, get a local guide. Don't get this shit from up north. They don't know anything about this. Well, here's the here's the thing too is that uh, let's just say he's a, a guy that wants to learn the area, and if he's a little um, suspect, he shouldn't be coming over and telling anybody that they're that they're cutting you off. Well, if you have a really sophisticated uh, guide. They know the differences, as you do, having been down here uh, all the years you've been here. So it's bothersome for a real uh, local professional to be bugged by somebody who really does not well, know the etiquette. Right. It's, it, it's, it's, it's not even the etiquette. I mean, you got two channels between you. You don't have every flat. You don't own the whole. Edge. Yeah, you don't yeah. own the flats for the next mile. Right. I mean, and, and, and this guy should have known better. I'm not mentioning names, but basically... The next thing I know, I'm getting texts from my Peppy. What are you doing down there? You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, sh shit like that. And, and and I'm not, you know, the guy knew better, okay? But he wanted to push his way. So he was he wanted he wanted that spot because on the high water the permits show up. But you know what? If you want to spot that bad, go go right to it, okay? Go right to it if you want it that bad. Okay, don't wait until someone gets and jumps in front of you because they're going to do it if you're starting that far far down. Right, right. What should somebody, if they, look, we've, we've been big promoters of this sport. P 
people want to come down here, but yet we they hear us talking about how there are too many people down here that's so so crowded. So we're kind of guilty of complaining about the crowds. And I realize that we are one of those crowded. We are one of those boats. No, you're not. I mean, listen, you're considered a local. You've been fishing down here for 40 years with a lot of great guides. So you know what? I'd never have a problem. Listen, when I'm on a spot and I see a guide, they know they can come and pull right by me. Right. Okay. I, Diego, Dustin has done it. Dougie has done it. Mm-hmm. Okay. They know that. Because I'm by myself. I don't make my living out of it. And I'm right. not going to deny anyone who's a captain down here who's making a living. They know that. And they do. Right. And they say, thanks, Pep. Yeah, we you do know? that too. We have a okay. bunch of buddies that come over. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, that's just respect for the people who are making a living. I'm not making my living out of it. Right. You know? So I respect these guys. And I respect them more because of the shit they got to go through. You know, they don't only fish on perfect days you know they got to fish in all kinds of weather right right um you've replaced fishing with your yard yeah what do you get out of your yard it makes me forget about all my issues at work for two days what's covid been like for you i mean oh i've been the whole world's been listen i've been busy i'm leaving tomorrow morning i'll get up at four i'm on the highway at 4 30 I'll be at work tomorrow at eight all day. I've got so much work because I deal with all the power companies and they need material. Now the storm season started and we already have one tropical depression. I get, I'm getting it from both sides. I'm getting it from my customers. Where's my fucking material? And from the factories that I got to get into pissing matches with taking year, a year to get transformers, a year to get wire. You know, it's just, I'm, I am wound tighter than a damn clock right now so that's why i leave work friday around 11 i come down here and i can't wait to drink my vodka and work on my yard because that's the only thing it defuses you yeah because i'm always thinking so i need something that's menial to keep my mind clear and working on the yard is i mean i worked on it today you saw how it rained through the rain edging my yard looks beautiful, though. <laughs> I mean, I got the best yard. All right. Everyone comes by. Funny because the way I'm dressed, people say, hey, are you for hire? Are you the gardener? <laughs> say, yes, ma'am. But I'm too expensive for you. <laughs> Seriously, you think I'm joking. But I do. I got the best yard. There's not even a leaf. I'm so anal that I pick up the leaves on the rock. Is your house like that also? Oh, yeah. If you come into my house, I got a take pair. Take your shoes off. Take your shoes off, and I got a pair of socks that you have to put on to walk in my house. No way. I swear to you. Is that what made you a great fisherman? Being that OCD with your tackle and, and the techniques and tactics? Yeah, I'm good at that, but it, it probably, I mean, once I want to do something, I'm driven until I do it. Right. Okay? And I've never in my life, when I set my mind to something... I mean, I've done it. I mean, it's just, it's a mission to me. And that's how the bone fishing was for me. Right. I mean, I wanted to be good at it. I wanted to win the tournament. And I got lucky and I won it five times. I mean, mean, it was luck. I mean, there's luck involved in anything. Right. 
But I think anybody that's got big dreams have to realize there's a lot of work and a lot of perfection that no, needs there is. to be you know that. answered I mean, to to, I mean, to do something well. No, it is. It's 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 nothing's easy in this world, no matter this, what you're doing. But you know, if you live like that fully all the time, it gets to be a pain in the ass, right? Yes, it does. Believe me, believe me. So there's no let up anywhere unless you're no. sleeping. No, I can't even sleep. <laughs> I, you laugh. I mean, I, I I've been falling asleep. I get up every day at four. Okay, I get up at four. I'm at work around six fifteen. But last night, I today's my girlfriend's birthday. So happy birthday, Sarah! <laughs> when you see this, but I fell asleep last night at eight o'clock, and I woke up at twelve thirty. And up, all, and up, you've been. Up and then I just toss and turn. Yeah. And then I finally got up, and thank God it didn't rain. I got out there and started with everything. I just I don't even sleep well. If I'm, you if you could change your life in any way, how would you change it? I would probably be less emotional about things. I get I get hyped up very easily. I mean, I do. I mean, you're always like that. I've always been like. Was that, that an attractive thing when you started hanging out with the bad kids when you were no, younger? No, it's not even attractive. It's just who you were. It's just my personality because I've always had a fight for everything. My entire life. Because your family, when they came to the States, had no money. Nope. And, you know, I won't even get into my business side, but, I mean, I started my whole career over in 2007, and that's how I'll leave it. I mean, I left the family business that I built up and created into a $30 million company, which now is, I don't even know. I don't even want to say anything, but I started my new company, and I'm at, I mean, I'm doing very, very well. Very, very well, and, and, but... It I've takes always, that kind of a person to, yeah, to get something. I could have given successful. up and come back to him, but no. There's a lot to be said for having your own life and your own freedom by breaking away from your family's business. Yep. You're your well, it was life. actually my business because I started, started it and created it. Hmm. Why did why'd you leave the family business if you uh, started it? Well, all? my dad lost his mind and married a 29-year-old, and I'll leave it at that. He's dead. He died. So were you close to your father? I was. I took care of him my entire life. And then some 29-year-old got between him and me. And as the saying goes, pussy one's out. Yeah. And he had twins in vitro. <laughs> but he screwed everyone over, but that's the bottom line. Yeah, that's sad. And I started over in 2007 and well, you're you fulfilled a lot of your goals that you've you've always had. What are your goals from this point forward? I want to spend, you know, see my kids grow up. I mean, I'm a grandpa now, so. Uh, and my girlfriend, her daughter's just started college, and I'm building a house up there, so I'm going to be going back and forth. But my goals now is just to live a quiet life. Eventually, I'm going to die like everyone else, and. No one will know anything about me. <laughs> Except for us. We'll know. How would you like to be remembered, Pepe? Now, that's a good question. I never even, I don't, to be honest with you, I'm just going to drift away. No one will remember me except for my kids. And they'll probably forget about me after I've been dead for 20 years. So, I mean. And you're okay with that? Yeah, I don't have any issue. The next life will be better, I hope. Better in what way? 
better that we're going to be in a better place. You know, I, I'm Catholic and, you know, it's, I just like to be left alone. That's it. I, and with COVID, I mean, I don't even go out to eat anymore. I pick stuff up. It's just the world has changed for the worse as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's just, you look at all the crime and the big cities, all these people getting killed. You know, we're not in a good place right now. Right. None of us are. And, you know, we're, <laughs> we got a lunatic in Europe who could start a third war that could kill us all. And we got someone leading this country, which has taken us down the wrong road. So, I mean, how do I want to be remembered? Just the way I am. I would say as a passionate guy that likes to do things well and was very successful in a lot of different yeah, things. Yeah, I mean. I'd say that. Yeah, but I don't like, to, I'm, I'm not. But, a, you're, but I'm saying that for you. Yeah, you know? I, I'm not a materialistic guy. Right, but I, you've won at a variety of levels. Yeah. But you think your life would be a little bit less stressful and maybe a little bit happier and freer if you were to sell your business? Sounds like you could. No, I... Or you need to have something. I need to do something. I have to I have to keep busy. That's right. me. The day that I stop keeping myself busy is the day I'm going to die. Yeah, I think okay. that's the said... That's that just... That says a, it for everybody. Yeah. And thank God we all have hobbies. Yeah, I just can't sit around... I can't sit around on a beach, you know, and I go to a lot of beautiful places in the islands and, you know, and I'm working and, and as soon as I'm done working, I go to the bar and have some drinks so I can get a good buzz, okay, because <laughs> it makes my evening go nice. And when I go home now, I'm going to smoke a cigar and, and, chill. and chill and I look out at the canal and look at the water and look at the beautiful yard I just fixed and that's, it's pretty simple. I mean, I'm a simple person. Anyone who knows me knows that. I, I'm not into material things. I never have been. I could, but it doesn't do anything for me. Right. You know, I just... It's your actions that speak yeah, volumes. I mean, yeah, I, it's, it's just people don't know me, don't under, understand me. If you know what's, me, what's the biggest misconception of Pepe Lopez? Oh, that I'm a hothead, and I am a hothead. I am. I just, I, when I see a wrong, I try to fix it. And that's why I get into being a hothead, okay? I don't like people bullying people. I'm always be there defending them. I just don't like arrogant people, and I don't want to be around them. Uh, I don't like showy, flashy people, you know, materialistic people. I tend to go away from those kind of people. Mm -hmm. That's why I get along so good with the guides because, you know, they're hardworking guys. They're trying to make a living. They're busting their ass working and it gets harder and harder for them. Yeah. Tell me about the picnic table at the Sugarloaf Marina. No, I'm not going to go there. I mean, that's a, no, no, I'm not talking about fighting or anything like that, but just the camaraderie. I mean, oh. when I first came to the Keys 40 years ago, every day we got off the water. What do you think we meant, Pepe? <laughs> well, there was another something, issue, but we won't go something into. Something happened there. <laughs> something happened. That, no. The, the, we're we're going to talk about the, the great, you know, moments. You no, get the, off the water and you have a beer and you talk about your day. Listen, listen. And it was Steve Huff, and it was, you know, I mean, Steve would come and go, but I know that Steve, Timmy, Steve would was stay. A, Timmy would he, stay, Harry would. Bobby Paulson. Bobby, Bobby Paulson. Paulson. He was the uh, commissioner. Listen, basically, we were all getting drunk and having a good time. Talking about fishing. Fishing and what we did and the old days. 
but we were all just sitting there. I mean, we got to a point where we start blowing. We brought uh, one of those testers. Because <laughs> we all want to know how drunk we were. Someone <laughs> brought it. And shit, I, everyone started blowing 2-0, 1-8. I mean, and I said, shit, I blew like that, but I was only going down the street. But some of these guys were going back to the tiki bar. <laughs> and I said, you, after I saw that, I don't even drink anymore. You know, and drive. You can't. All right. No, the times have changed. No, they've changed because. Yeah. But God, we were all shocked. Oh, we that that blown. picnic table was awesome. It was. I was, it was actually. Great. I was actually when I was, when I was younger, when I first started coming down here with you, when I was like 13, 14, 15 years old, I was like intimidated by that table. I was intimidated. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Really? yeah. All the guys were really, there. I was a little jit I, 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 coming nah. down, and I'd see Bobby, and I'd see Timmy, and I'd see Doug, and I'd Doug oh, Diego shit. would be there, and there, everyone would bring breers, and and it would be awesome. It would be great. I'll this tell is you my most embarrassing moment there. So we were uh, Nikki and I were. <laughs> I, told, cast, I told cast. Timmy Carlisle this the other day. <laughs> so we'd go on a bad day. We'd go net some mullet and go catch tarpon on mullet. So. There was a bunch of malt right there at the, no, right in front of no everybody. And there's a sunk boat down there, right? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you can go get the mullets like they're thick. Oh, yeah. Well, it, anyway, it were easy. They're right there, but I actually no, netted so, the boat. You lost your net? <laughs> no, no. Let me, tell, let me tell the story. So we, <laughs> I can't believe you did this. I was so embarrassed. I had my hat down because everyone was looking at us, but you're like, oh, there's mullet right there. So we got his cast net out. <laughs> And honestly, I'm run, running the trolling motor from the back of the boat, and he's on the casting platform. He goes, "There they are," and he he does this banana. But he he actually he actually kind of opens it, you know, for one. He, he opens it, and he's letting it sink because it's kind of deep right there. And he's letting it sink. He's letting it sink. He's letting it sink. And all of a sudden, he starts pulling, and it's not coming up. It's not coming up, and he's stuck on something. And now. Who's the previous owner of the Sugarloaf Marina? Who is uh, Lloyd Good? Um, oh no, no, Jeannie, 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 and Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, Jeannie comes out to see what we're doing. Timmy's there. There's a bunch of people on the on the picnic table. I'm trying to land I'm a so boat. So embarrassed, and now his his cast net is stuck on the bottom, right? And Jeannie goes, "Oh yeah, there's an old sunken canoe or ship down there," and we're like, "Oh fuck, great!" So we we get it loose. And now we have all these parrotfish and schoolmasters and snappers and shitfish all on our boat. <laughs> it's just a nightmare. Captain Andy. <laughs> oh boy, I can't believe you just said that. On, oh god, on your I podcast. Know. Well, I'm I'm secure enough. I can embarrass myself. Yeah. it's all good. Everything good. It's yeah. all good. Well, hey, listen, uh, you've always been a great friend. You know, I don't I appreciate know. That. Yeah, you were, were always really kind to me. And I've always, you know, wanted to be kind to everybody else. Right. But, um, and I see that gentle side, that gentle heart mm -hmm. of yours and the passion that you've always had. And it's always been a pleasure to hang out with you and mm -hmm. be with a, your, your fellow friends and, you know, getting to know you close well, to 40 days, years I'll, ago. Next year, I'll take you fishing. That'd be awesome. All right. I put both of you on the bow. That'd yeah. be fun. All right, we'll pull you around too. No, no, I don't. No one pulls me. I want to see your no, Harry Snow act. No one. Pull, we can't catch him. I don't. I haven't picked up a rod to be honest with you, in probably five years. Well, it's time to. Okay, I, when I did a Tortuga trip, I took Timmy and my big boat to to try, uh, try Tortugas in November to catch muttons in the shallows, and. That's the only, that's the last time I fished, but no, I don't. 
I don't want to pick up a rod anymore. Yeah. I just don't. It's like I, me skiing. I don't care about yeah, skiing anymore. Yeah, I just anymore. don't want to do it anymore. I just don't have any passion. And I'd rather pull people around and watch them enjoy it. I get enjoyment of watching someone I, do it. I get it. that. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. That's why, I mean, me and Dougie have already had this conversation. I mean, we're looking after Timmy and, you know, I'll probably take Timmy fishing next week. Awesome. You know, I get him on the bow because I love yelling at Birdie. <laughs> All right. But, you know, I that's what I enjoy now. I just like to take, I take my son out, you know, I pull him around and I lose it with him. I mean, really, I'm not a good person to fish with. If you're, <laughs> you demand if, if, perfection. If, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you screw see, up. T- yeah. See, Nikki, I'm not the only one. No, I mean, shit, I thought my son, my son's bigger than me. He could probably kick my ass. But he knows better because I'll probably get my gun and shoot him. Okay. But I mean, I mean, I felt bad some of the stuff I've done to my son. Sorry, Alex. I apologize. But, you know, I'm not an easy person to be with on a boat anymore. I'm not. That's why I don't go. Maybe when I go fishing, I go by myself. Maybe we won't go fishing with you. No, though. I'll take you. I'll, I'll try to behave myself because I know your dad can handle a fly rod. Now, if you can't, then you're going to be in trouble. But I'm sure you can. I your think dad, I'm just going to sit back and watch <laughs> the firestorm. Yeah, but that's why I go fishing by myself, unless it's someone that I know very well. That can get it done. Well, No, no, not that. It's just that yeah, I just, you just want to be it. there. I just lose it. That's just, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. But, you know. You, know, you want to well, catch we, every fish. Well, we love you. We love no, you, Pappy. I appreciate and that. And thank you for joining us. And no, I great enjoyed stories. this. Yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, it was. All right, and I pal. hope people see see how the fishing used to be. Yeah. Thanks so much, yeah. Pepe. Thank you. Thank you, all right? Thanks, yeah. Thanks, buddy. New eyes to our sport love what they see. It's still great and wonderful, but we don't know how we got here without looking back at where our sports come from. Imperative in preserving our future. We hope you enjoyed Pepe's electric story. If you'd like to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you again soon.